It's Learning to Listen with Quinn, Naomi, and Charlie. Oh, yeah. Welcome to Learning to Listen. Yeah, the podcast that uh, you listen to things and learn about them. That's how that goes. L2L, that's what we call it. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking all about number 76, Curtis Mayfield, Superfly, on our Rolling Stones, greatest albums of all time. You're here for that, I'm sure. But also, patreon.com slash learning to listen. Make sure you head over there and uh, check out what we got going on. I mean, you know, just help us out. Support us. We, uh, We like you. You know, so if you like us, I don't know, why don't you show us a little, huh? All right. Anyway, patreon.com slash learning to listen. But here's the real opening spiel. It goes like this. This is L2L, where we're talking about music and the way we listen to music. We're trying to engage with the music we listen to. We're all about the lost art of engaged listening. So that's why we're talking about albums and consuming the album as a whole artistic statement, the way artists intended. This isn't a biography show. It is not. No, it is instead a pure guttural and visceral reaction to the music we are listening to. My name is Quinn. I will be your host today. And of course, on the ones and the twos, we've got DJ Charlie Scream. Charlie Scream. Hey, what happened? (laughs) All right. And then over there, thinking about getting uh, finger banged by Nick Lachey, it's Naomi Carmack. (laughs) Let's milk it. (laughs) Wow. So dirty already. Yikes. This is a family <laughs> podcast. I remind myself. I doubt. I started that. Um, no, anyway, yes, of course. Uh, we are talking today all about uh, Curtis Mayfield's Superfly, uh, original soundtrack to the movie Superfly. So uh, you guys uh, want to get into it? Let's go. All right, so this is coming in at number 76 on our Rolling Stones' greatest albums of all time, uh, according to the 2020 list. Of course, uh, originally put out several times, but amended in 2020. So, Superfly is the third studio album by American soul musician Curtis Mayfield, released in July 1972 on Kurt Tom Records. It was released as the soundtrack for the black exploitation film of the same name, wildly considered a classic of the 1970s soul and funk music. Superfly was a nearly immediate hit. Its sales were bolstered by two million selling singles, Freddy's Dead, number two R&B charts, number four pop charts, and the title track, number five, uh, and uh, number eight, uh, respectively, Superfly is one of the few soundtracks to outgross the film it accompanied. So now that we know a little bit more about Superfly, um, yeah, guys, let's get into it. How aware of this album were you before the assignment to listen to it today? Charlie, let's start with you. Super aware. Yeah, okay. N- not at all aware. Not at all? No. Okay, uh, interesting. Well, let's both talk- sides of the spectrum. Let's talk to you about that then. Uh, you just missed it. It you you never heard any of the. I'd heard the of Curtis Mayfield. Or- mm-hmm. I'd heard of him. Uh, I couldn't actually name you a song though that he he sang. Oh, but- like not even like people get ready. People get ready. I feel like it's maybe one of those where you play one of his songs and I'll go, oh yeah, you know. But, um, um, well, there's definitely been like some licensing recently. What's the moving, moving, moving on? It's been used in some commercial campaign recently. You've definitely heard that one a hundred times if you've watched any TV or 
or it might even be on like a TV show. It might like I'm trying to think now. Maybe it was the opening to a TV. I know that it's because I, this made me go on a bit of a Curtis Mayfield deep dive. I didn't listen to tons and tons because I listened to this album the most. But mm. I was like, oh, I gotta he listened to the greatest hits again, right? And I was sure. like, holy shit, yeah, of course, man. Like, I just realized how prevalent Curtis Mayfield is kind of in culture still. Like, his mm. music gets sampled all the time. It gets licensed all the time. Uh, mm yeah anyway um yeah for me personally definitely very familiar with curtis mayfield uh i had never sat down and listened to this album all the way through though i was just well i was thinking about this when i started this and i was like oh yeah for sure i've listened to this record and then i got into it and i'm like oh everything in this album is super familiar but i have never sat down and actually listened to the album through i mean there's some deeper stuff that i'm like okay yeah i don't know if i've actually heard this like some of the instrumental stuff sure but any of any any other of the like tracks especially the singles i've you know i've I've heard plenty um yeah so interestingly you know enough i was like um i i uh i'm like i i think i should watch the movie That's something that I talked about with a, with a buddy of ours, James, he was like, Oh yeah, of course I know that soundtrack. I love that movie. It's such a great movie. I've just watched it within the last year. And that made me realize, shit, you know, I I don't know that I've actually seen the movie. Well, that's, I was in the similar boat because I was kind of thinking of the soundtrack going like, yeah, I'm familiar with the soundtrack for sure. And then I listened to it and I'm like, Oh, you know what? No, I'm familiar with Curtis Mayfield. I'm familiar with cuts from this album, but I'm not familiar with the album itself. Sure. I'm like, well, what about the movie? I'm like, I've seen my share of black exploitation from back in the day, you know, Shaft and and like uh, Kung Fu Jones and shit mm-hmm. like that, right? So like, or is it Black Black Belt? Jones? Brown. Uh, yeah, stuff like that. And I was like, okay, well, it's, I know that it's one of the prime pioneering films in that genre. So I'm like, I, I'm fairly familiar with it. And then I realized I'm no, I'm more familiar with references to it than itself. Like I'm I'm I remember like Snoop Dogg uh does a skit at the beginning of Doggy Style where they quote the the one of the scenes in the movie, not verbatim, but pretty close. They change a few things to like modernize it, right? Like mm-hmm. instead of like instead of like every room's got a color TV, he's like, you know, giant big tv and whatever like flat screen or not i guess it wasn't flat screen in the early 90s or like mm. big screen tv or whatever mm. anyway shit like that but i'm like oh it's it's all the references to this to this movie that have been like done in like other movies or like i've seen clips from it and you know in like documentaries and stuff about like this era of film mm-hmm. so much so that i was like i thought i'd seen the film or i was really familiar with the film but i hadn't actually sat through the film so i did that so yeah anyway my experience with this was was kind of going like oh you know what it's like discovering something i thought i knew and i'm not rediscovering it but like i don't know how to how else to put that but sure yeah um so charlie you were saying you were you're super familiar like yeah i would have found this album uh when i was in college i think and picked it up on cd and just listened to it a hell of a lot uh wait when whenever it came out I'm pretty sure I had like maybe a 25th, a nine, oh, maybe in the late, in the mid 90s, a 25th anniversary collection came out. And I'm pretty sure that's one of the ones I have. So it's got a bunch of the extra stuff on it. Uh, and I just, I listened to the crap out of it from the opening, uh, the intro to Little Child with that, uh, that crazy bass. It's amazing. I love it. And I just, it just hooked me right away. Yeah. Um, I, I obviously really enjoyed, like I've always dug Curse Mayfield, but I guess I just never really, you know, I just, in a weird way, it's like um, it's almost 
taking it for granted. Sure. Like I just was, I just, I just assumed, you know, like, oh yeah, of course I know that that's just there. And I'm like, I've never actually sat down and really given this the time of day. So I was really happy to do it. Um, I will report back uh, this. It is true. The soundtrack is much better than the movie. <laughs> the movie is not bad. It's just not good. It's cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a cool black exploitation movie, right? Well, here's the thing is, so watching the movie, um, and then having the option to listen to the soundtrack, I would definitely take the soundtrack over actually watching the movie every time. Sure. But the movie kind of works as almost like a, like a an extended music video for the soundtrack. There is such little narrative, like almost nothing happens in the movie. It's just a very long kind of like drawn out. Uh, like there's lots of it. Look. I mean, the cars are cool. Everybody's dressed like in fucking like 1970s, like just like just perfect pimp fashion, you know, like, I mean, the movie is about a uh, a cocaine dealer priest and he's like top of his game. He's like one of the biggest, you know, cocaine dealers and he wants out. And so he's going to make one last like fucking big score to make his money and he's that's it then he's gonna i don't know not go legit per se but just get out of the business or retire right (laughs) kind of retire yeah um and then of course a bunch of forces try to keep him in the game so now he's got to like outsmart everybody and uh, figure out how to pull this off while corrupt cops uh business partners lovers everybody wants him to stay in the game you know whatever anyway uh and then by the end of it he's outsmarted them all and he goes on his merry little way but man, that plot could fill up maybe 40 minutes of like an episode of The Wire, <laughs> right? <laughs> the rest of the movie is literally people driving around, walking, uh, hanging out. There's a whole scene, which is basically Kurt, Curtis Mayfield singing a song in a bar, mm-hmm. which is great. And then he makes a cameo in, in this movie and, and you know, gets to play pretty much the entire song. Um, and or, uh, um and then, you know, there's a couple of good, like, lovemaking scenes that, like, drag on, but, like, you know, they're pretty sexy for, like, you know, they're kind of in their, like, 70s softcore sort of way. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> but, but, like, nothing happens. <laughs> you know? And it's not, like, a lot of dialogue to, like, move it along. It's not, like, in that um, kind of uh, Richard Linklater way of, of uh, you know, of, of, like, a day in the life. Right. Like, this is a movie about a guy who's, you know, it's got a plot, but it's just that it's stretched out, like, so much by just... But what's kind of cool about that, though, is it's such a vibe. Because if it's a scene where it's just somebody, like, walking down the, the sidewalk, it's to the groove of, like, Freddy's dead or whatever, like... Sure. And I could imagine that, you know, in the 70s, especially in the early 70s, where, you know, you didn't have a lot of choice for how to consume your media, It'd just be a fun way to like go and hang out in the theater for uh, for a couple hours, you know, yeah. like just vibe out to the sweet Curtis Mayfield like soundtrack. It's not it's not edited down that bad. Most of the songs have some breathing room, right? So like you'll get three or four minutes of a song in the movie before the editing like you know moves on to another scene or something like that. So it 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 actually in a weird way it kind of it does that thing where the soundtrack itself is only forty some minutes long. And then the movie is twice that length. So you basically hear some of these songs like two, three, four times. You, you almost hear like the whole soundtrack like twice over. All right. Mm-hmm. But it's not so bad. Like, I, I think that it would be really cool. And I was kind of looking for this and nobody's done it. So it'd be cool to get 
a version of this that just uses like the movie as kind of a visual companion to the soundtrack as opposed to the other way around right where so you kind of cut the scenes up into music videos right 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 that kind of complement the song now the narrative of the movie and the soundtrack the way they have it, the tracks laid out don't line up right so you you wouldn't be able to follow a narrative maybe you'd have to like reorder them or something mm-hmm. but anyway um yeah so if, if you haven't seen the movie um I recommend it if you if you're curious about that period in cinema, if you kind of want to know what black exploitation, like exploitation films and that kind of like old school, you know, it comes from that idea of being able to make these 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 movies like cheaply and efficiently um, and then, you know, fill like double bills, you know, like the like same concept that like Tarantino and uh, um, Robert Rodriguez explored with like Grindhouse is basically. Sure. But this was kind of a hit because suddenly, you know, not just this movie, but like this, you know, like movies like Shaft and stuff like that. Um, because all of a sudden they were actually not just marketed to, but like, you know, appealed to a whole population that movies hadn't really been specifically made for before. Right. So of course people like consume them like crazy. But what's cool about this one, this particular one is that because that around the time that uh, this movie was going into production, Shaft had been released and Shaft had had a big hit with the theme from Shaft, right? Um, with, uh, um, uh, what's his face? Uh, God, I want to say Chef. Isaac Hayes. <laughs> Isaac Hayes, thank you. God, yes, yes. Chef. I know, I know. But you know how sometimes like when you just associate a voice with something, it's so yeah, hard. Yeah, to- yeah. Anyway, yeah, with Isaac Hayes singing the theme from Shaft, right? And so, of course, these guys were like, well, we need our theme from Shaft. And then that's where Curse Mayfield stepped in and uh, was like, yeah, hell, man, I'll, I'll, I read the script and got excited about it and uh, made a whole album for the entire movie. Now, what's interesting to me, though, is that I don't know what the script looked like, but this album is so much more anti-drugs and it has so much more to say, like commentary wise, you know, social commentary wise than the movie does. The movie is pretty surface level, you know, plot wise, like the images and stuff like that are about like street toughs and people kind of trying to make it in that world or whatever. But it really, really glamorizes it, you know, like right. it really glorifies drug use. Like there's several scenes where characters are just indulging in cocaine without any consequences it's just part of it's just almost like it's like watching movies you know where like from back in the day where everybody just lights a smoke every time you know something (laughs) important stressful is going on it looks so cool that's kind of what it happens in this movie is like every time they get together with other characters they're always doing blow always always (laughs) and there's never any consequences from the actual use of the drugs and it's kind of funny that the the juxtaposition of like the the content of the album the the soundtrack is you know talking about the consequences of that lifestyle, the pitfalls of drug use or being a junkie or whatever, you know, or, you know, and, and meanwhile, the movie is like, or you could be make millions of dollars (laughs) and have everything in the world, you know, it could go either way, really. So I found that really, really interesting. But anyway, so I just wanted to bring some context to what, what this whole thing was about, because this is a soundtrack to Mm -hmm. a movie. This is not, just a standalone album but i would say that if you think you're missing anything from only listening to the album and not watching the movie definitely not 
the album stands on its own. In fact, as artistic is as art goes, it's actually kind of head and shoulders above the movie. It elevates the movie. Sure. <laughs> part I of mean, the part it, of the enjoyment of watching the movie is the Curtis Mayfield soundtrack. Sure, and I can't remember if you said it in your opening spiel or not, but it's one of the few soundtracks that outgrossed the the movie itself. So it's yeah, made yeah. more money than the movie. Oh, by now for sure it has. It's actually kind of hard to track the movie down, like from a legitimate streaming source. I sure. did eventually, but but it, it took a while. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, so getting into the content of the album itself. So now that you guys have listened to it, so Charlie, you're super aware with aware of it. You said you loved it. You bought a an anniversary version. Yeah. And really, yeah. And Naomi, the fact that you hadn't ever heard it and weren't familiar with it at all. So we're only really familiar with Curtis Mayfield and name. Yeah. Yeah. So if somebody said Curtis Mayfield, you'd be like, oh, I've heard that name before, but you yeah. couldn't name a song. Okay. Well, interesting. So then I've got to ask you, like, how did you react to listening to this album? Um, well, I knew it was going to be good soul music um, just because of the name behind it. I was surprised that I never knew that Curtis Mayfield primarily sings in falsetto. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, I think that comes from the fact that that was his harmony part in the uh, he was in a uh, a vocal group called the Impressions. Yep. Yeah, and, I was looking through the wiki. Yep. Yeah, and but, he and that's that was the yeah part he took mostly in there. In fact, the only reason he left the Impressions and went solo was not so much because he wanted to go solo. He that wasn't his uh, initial idea. He wanted to start his own label and he was, you know, so busy. He actually thought he was kind of going to maybe stop, at, you know, touring and, and playing like live so much. And he thought, oh, you know what? I'd like to be more of an office guy, stay close to home. And he developed the business on that side. But then he found quickly that he was missing, you know, writing music and playing music. And he was already just on so many projects producing that he just, yeah was like yeah. I, I can't help myself i gotta keep making music so you know uh in fact i believe in like some of his early uh solo efforts the impressions are still like he was still working with them like they were still kind of the, his band and and like the vocalists and stuff he worked with but um but yeah um um it just i guess you know we just listened to uh sly and the family stone not that long ago and kind of coming up in that that same era that like was developing you know what would become a lot of like the like kind of the later soul sound like like funk you know mixed with a little bit of psychedelia and stuff like that is 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 where he kind of really found uh his sound and i i would man i would highly recommend if you never dug into his catalog uh the whole catalog is great but the album before this one i think it's just called roots is is great it's really exemplary of like um what that uh that uh that that whole like era is kind of about and now i would say on on this end you know he's definitely leaning into a little bit more of of like the commercial appeal of that sound Mm. but man it's so good yeah (laughs) you know like he deserves to be there it doesn't sound like he's he's uh it doesn't sound pandery it doesn't sound like Sally. it sounds like you know that that he's part of the reason that sound is commercial if, if that makes any sense you know i would say his only real contemporary at the time like sound wise would be like maybe like marvin gay yeah, yeah what's definitely. going on right definitely. 
Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just no, okay. I just I was completely surprised though that he was primarily singing in falsetto. Um, I kind of wanted to know what like the rest of his range would sound like, especially I find that surprising if you're going from being like singing your part in a in a group. I guess it would be kind of with you still, but at the same time, breaking out of the group, you'd think you'd want to try using other parts of your range. Yeah, but you know, he, he he his goal was not to be a solo artist. So, you know, he he found his his place in the group and and uh he'd been doing it, I think the impressions had been making records at that point since 1958 mm-hmm. and he'd been singing harmony in uh, in gospel since he was a child. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even though you hear a speaking voice and you're like, okay, yeah, like his speaking voice is definitely not in a high register. It's, I don't know mm-hmm. where it specifically would be. So you imagine, yeah, maybe he can sing. And I think every once in a while he dips into some, some other parts of his range, but I mean, you know, when you've honed your instrument, go with what you right? know. You know, and no, I don't. I just found that a little bit disappointing. That's all. Because like, really, I, yeah, I kind of was. Uh, eventually, I'm like, okay, he's been singing high. He's still singing high. Oh, he's still singing high. <laughs> like, just wanted to hear something a little less falsetto-y, a little more mm. variety there. That's what I was hoping for. That's all. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if, it, if there's any point in his career that he, yeah, really switched it up. I mean, unfortunately. <laughs> He was paralyzed in 1990. Yeah, uh, I read that. Yeah, and uh, he still managed to do a, a little... He couldn't really play much guitar anymore. Um, apparently, he, he still recorded somewhat, and he did make the odd appearance here and there. The only way he could really uh, sing without like taking several breaks, which he still had to do anyway, is apparently on his back. He could go on his back, and he had an easier time breathing to be able to mm-hmm. sing a little bit. That's interesting. I can understand because it's like the gravity working on it. But I mean, I know in vocal lessons, we used to sing our, our teacher would have us lie on our backs because it's so difficult to sing that way, hmm. you, you know, as an exercise, as a breathing exercise to make us breathe properly, to put more weight on your, to put us breathing from our diaphragms and such. So she would try to get us to do that. And it's, it's harder to sing when you're lying down, but obviously not in his case. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I don't know because yeah, that's what I that's what I read anyway. That uh, some uh, there was an album he made in the '90s, and I've never heard it, but that um, mm-hmm. the only way he was able to complete the album was that when he did his vocal takes, he had to lie on his back to do them, and then of course mm-hmm. they would do several takes. They would like you know do a line or two and take a break, and right? Let him catch his breath. But what's cool in a way is that through the '90s, unfortunately, his health really deteriorated after. Uh, he was paralyzed and uh, he succumbed to complications because of diabetes of all things. Um, mm-hmm. But he, he got a lot of attention as you would when, you know, somebody that like that suddenly becomes, uh, you know, um, has that kind of incident in their life, you know, sure. and uh, a lot of, a lot of people really wanted to talk to him. So there's a lot of footage of interviews and uh, a lot of recognition. That's when a lot of those box sets, you know, like probably that 25th anniversary that you, Oh, yeah, yeah, that would have been around right around that time for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I believe he passed away in like '99 or 2000. Relatively young, like uh, you know, I think maybe only in maybe maybe in his late 50s, early 60s, something like that. 57 when he passed. 57. There you go. Yeah, so. he passed on right after Christmas. Oh, unfortunate. But 
in the meantime, the legacy he left behind is is pretty pretty amazing. Um, okay, well, so other than the the uh, disappointed that you didn't hear anything but a falsetto, um, which I, you know I feel like that's his, that's where he was comfortable singing and that that was what he was going to do. And also, I think stylistically, it it made sense. You know, a lot of those singers at the time were experimenting with that, like you know, uh, Marvin Gaye sang in in a falsetto quite a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, other singers at the time were really experimenting. I mean, I guess. Oh yeah who are you competing with on the radio if like if you're thinking like you know you've got isaac hayes on one end like doing you know probably barry white, barry white. I, like, they're holding down like, the low yeah those guys Who's have got, got the it. middle man yeah middle. yeah i don't teddy pendergrass <laughs> luther luther, well, luther came, he came yeah. later he came later didn't he yeah. uh, teddy was a little bit after this period too but like you know the Maybe that's what it was, is that they, they, they showed up going like, all right, those guys have got the low end. Those guys have got Stevie. the high end. Oh, well, Stevie, Stevie would have been a little contemporary because at this point, you know, he'd already had his started his career as little Stevie. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, um, anyway, getting into it, though, like what about what about the production? Like, what about the music on this thing? Oh, I liked it. Yeah, it's really hard to deny, right? It's just like infectious. The grooves are great. The production is lush. The arrangements are awesome. You know, like it's good for driving. Oh man, I was just driving around listening to the album. I'm just like, were you driving fast? Mm-hmm. Were did you did you speed up? Uh, I, I maintained the, the speed limit. I... <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink. Um, I know. Well, he, okay. So this is what dawned on me driving around listening to it was that. Oh, man, it just made me think of every car chase in every movie or TV show from the 70s, you know, like that that sound of like, you know, the the, the, that 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 like dramatic sound that I've come to associate with that uh, with that idea of these like, you know, cop films and uh, like dramas and, and and that kind of shit from like the 70s and even the 80s, you know. That like that that like wah wah guitar and like the hand drums, you know, like the congas and stuff like that. Like you know, like I'm just like, wait a second, I just realized something. I'm like, that all comes from this. <laughs> <laughs> like this really set that fucking shit up, right? Because this is '72, mm-hmm. and when you think about it, like almost every fucking cop show or even movie like that you watched in the '70s, they're all doing this. Yeah, they're doing this while they're flying through giant piles of empty cardboard boxes. Yeah, like in San Francisco or something, right? Like, like, yeah, just coming careening over those hills and some giant fucking like oversized Cadillac, just boom, 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 you know, like. And then what are you hearing? But like, I realized, man, everybody is doing this because it was so cool, you know. Yeah. Like, like. I guess the way you kind of look at this is in a way is as, you know, as Miami vice was to like the late eighties and like style and sound and stuff like that, where it was just kind of cool. Like this was the equivalent of that. And then everybody was just copying that, that style, um, man, even porno movies. <laughs> yeah. Like, like when you listen to a song, like um, I think it's one of the instrumentals, right. But it's like, uh, give me your love. love song. Mm-hmm. Or no, those there's, there's lyrics in that. Yeah. There's lyrics mm-hmm. in that. But when you think of those, like, those really sepia-toned hazies, like, you know, everybody's doing that bounce, wow, wow, right? Like, and, you know, that's their, like, oh, porno or whatever. What they're really doing is they're talking about, you know, like, the porno, 
from like the 70s and maybe a little bit into the 80s or whatever but when it was like cinematic right right and when you watch the movie it becomes very evident where they got the idea from because that's basically what's happening here it's a little more on the softcore side than like behind the green door or like deep throat or something <laughs> but you know i'm sure those guys they're making exploitation films in their way they just have to be a little more adult right right they definitely saw Superfly. They definitely heard Curtis Mayfield's soundtrack over like him banging whoever in like a bathtub. So, <laughs> you know, of course they were like, oh, hey, do that, right? That's the and sound. Then, Let's get and, that. And then they get a bunch of studio musicians to just do their best Curtis Mayfield impression. <laughs> like, I guess that's the thing to be said about this. Like, what a fucking legacy. Sure. Because to, to this day, that's somebody's shorthand for like, oh, things are getting pornographic, right? Is they'll go bow, chicka, wow, wow, right? And I mean, like, yeah. they're referencing, you know, a more on the nose, you know, type of sound or whatever. But like, they were, you know, they were they were cribbing from Curtis Mayfield's notes, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, every time you want to do like, a, you know, like they want to do a Starsky and Hutch, whatever, like... Uh, parody or you know i guess you know take that license and put ben stiller in a movie or whatever right like <laughs> what it like what does that soundtrack sound like well it sounds like starkey starsky and hutch sounded like in the 70s mm -hmm. a lot of wah-wah guitar and bongo drums and like you know groovy bass lines right sure. you know like it's I, I don't know man it all starts here and maybe i don't know if chris mayfield is 100 percent the first right obviously they're shaft true right yeah. Um, and then Damn maybe that's right. just a whole scene that was kind of be, being built or whatever. But I think in the case where you have a movie that almost exists just to prop up a soundtrack, <laughs> it just shows you like how strong, like a good, strong choice in a soundtrack can really elevate a movie. Right. Yeah. Because, yeah, on its surface, the movie is really just like it's pretty. I don't know. It's very uh, shallow. <laughs> and I don't mean that like in the like in 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 any kind of necessarily derogatory way. It, it, just a lot of that movie is just very cool for cool's sake. Right. Or like it's a lot of time filling. A lot of time filling. Anyway. Um yeah, so it, I don't know. Um man, but I just and I and I I guess I just enjoyed this a lot. <laughs> And it was really hitting me like why this this like does come up on so many uh, like, you know, this comes up so often this album and this and Chris Mayfield. And then also when you look at the cover of the album, you know, this isn't the Superfly original soundtrack. This is Chris Mayfield's like album. His right, face right. is bigger than the artwork for the movie. His they face is like half the cover and then the other half is like the title and then the you know the smaller version of the the movie poster or whatever yeah i'm just saying like they knew they knew marketing this with like what they had on their hands like they mm -hmm. were you know this is this was lightning in a bottle mm -hmm. uh i don't know i what what like i is there anything that you guys can add about like just what you felt about like the music you know um I mean, other than like the lyrics being very like, we love drugs. Um, well, it's not. Push red. Push they're red. Very they're, well, yeah, but they're anti-drugs when you listen to them, right? <clears throat> but this movie had a lot of drugs, did it not? Oh, Wasn't yeah. No, no, yeah. no. That's what I, I was saying that earlier. The funny thing about it is that the movie, the content of the movie and the soundtrack 
especially lyrically, are kind of uh, uh, very juxtaposed. They're very counter each other. The mm. the soundtrack is very anti drugs, mm-hmm. um, and not that the movie is necessarily pro drugs, but it sure glamorizes them. <laughs> like there's yeah. montages of like you know of 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 you know all these drug deals going down and everybody doing these drugs. And you don't see these con- the consequence of them doing the drugs. There's no like, and then this led to a lot of whole, a lot of shit, you know, going down for all these people. It just mostly leads to people having a really good time doing drugs, you know, <laughs> like listening to Curtis. May- it's uh, the, the way the move, the music gets moved, used in the movie is, is pretty funny. Cause you're like, they're like, okay, we've got the soundtrack. And so we have to basically use it as everything. It's not just the soundtrack. It's also the incidental music in the movie. Mm-hmm. So like, there's a point where like one of the characters, or there's probably more than once, but there's one that I noticed for sure where they'll go put a record on, and the record they put on is the soundtrack to the movie that you're <laughs> listening <super> to. <laughs> yeah, but it's already something you've already heard, right? Right, as like as soundtrack music. So it's weird. It's like this weird meta universe in a way where it's like, like it's 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 being scored by it's like you know by real world incidental music. It's it's interesting, <laughs> you know. I, I guess you see stuff like that kind of used these days too, like like something like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, like James Gunn. You know, he kind of does this, right? Where the music will be incidental in the movie. It'll be like you know Peter Quill playing his you know his cassette tape, yeah, right? He's got his. But then then that'll that'll somehow kind of like transition into the larger world and becomes the soundtrack to the movie. It's right. not just him listening to it, you know, in, in his headphones. It's or now like it's it, it's now part of the emotional weight of the scene or or it's kind of directing, you know, how you feel about it or whatever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't quite happen exactly that way in this movie, but. You know, in, in in you can tell they're just doing it for copyright reasons. They're like, well, we have the copyright to all this music, so we'll just use it for everything. We've got these nine songs, okay? Yeah, you can put them in different <laughs> a couple. There's they, you know, they have specific names, like you know, well, this one isn't as there's a chase, there's a love song, there's a cocaine song. You know, like mm-hmm. use them as you will. Um. Now, now, okay. So, speaking of legacy of this whole thing, it's funny. I I. I I made this joke, uh, but uh, I, we asked a few people, you know, like some of our friends, some people who like to talk about records and stuff, what they think about this. And everybody was just like, kind of like, it's great. Hey, but have you heard the fishbone cover? Like of, uh... and I was thinking about that, Naomi. I was like, that, that's the other thing that like fishbone mm-hmm. seems like they should be kind of in your wheelhouse. They're in that like world of like that funk rock, you know, extreme, like late eighties, oh, okay. early nineties sound. Um, you never heard uh, Fishbone's cover of Freddy's Dead? No. Interesting. No. Well, I also know that you have a you have a bit of a sweet spot for uh, New Jack Swing, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> did, did you know that in 1990, um, when uh, when there was, I think, a second sequel, there was another sequel to the movie Superfly. I don't know if Chris Mayfield had anything to do with that soundtrack, but in 1990, there was a third Superfly movie that was a big flop or whatever. But then at that point, a young Lenny Kravitz was brought on to work on the soundtrack. And what his idea was, why don't we take, right? Because at that point, you know, remix culture was really coming in. Mm -hmm. So why don't we get Curtis Mayfield to give us a new Superfly song? And then 
will get a bunch of contemporary artists to remix it. And there is a new Jack Swing uh, remix of Superfly 1990. That is the album I want to hear. Well, it's not a whole, it's, it's weird. It's made like, um, like a contemporary 1990. It's not an album. It's more of a club thing. So it's several Ooh. different remixes of Superfly 1990. And one of them, actually kind of almost several of them, um, being uh, uh, featuring Ice-T. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so it's a very, very, uh, very, very of its time. A time and place know. sort of very, thing. Very for sure. yeah. should, we, should we play a little sample? Yeah. Okay. I think we should. Okay. How about this? Oh, this is my shit. <laughs> but as you can see, Ice Cube's name is on all of these. Falling times, I was super fly high, grieving hard for a partner. I knew soon he would die. Blame the man, he planted the seed, and because of your greed, the weak and strong one had to feed, but it's fair, nowhere. <laughs> Good. Anyway, there's uh, that's the more pure New Jack Swing version. Obviously, these awesome. are remixes of, uh, of uh, I believe, Curtis Mayfield actually produced some music, and then they remix. Lenny Kravitz got it together to remix a bunch. Which is interesting. I haven't listened to the whole thing, but I it it was released as like a ten inch, huh. I think, or maybe a seven inch. It was like, but you know, meant to be like more of a club single sort of thing, which would have been like kind of the, you know, the, the idea at the time. Yeah, um, for sure. Was that was more that would have been the thing <clears throat> instead of instead of a full real scored soundtrack because I'm sure they also probably didn't even have the money at that point to be like, hey. Hey Curtis Mayfield, <laughs> right? Make us all. How about you make one track and then we'll just remix it a whole bunch of times. So, <laughs> I'd be interested to see with how that movie turned out. I mean, apparently it was a huge flop or whatever. I don't, know. I don't know if anybody, but uh, Samuel L. Jackson's in it, one of his early roles. So okay, That's oh. a, a little little I know, little I know about Superfly 1990. Um, okay, guys. Ooh. Well, I mean, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious what it's about. It's a soundtrack for a movie. I would say that in this case, though, it's interesting because the movie is not pro-drugs per se, but it's definitely not anti-drugs. <laughs> it definitely kind of, you know, if there's some criticism that the movie deserves, it's that it kind of glorifies the lifestyle, you know? <laughs> yeah. As long as, you know, you can outsmart crooked cops and other drug dealers and stuff, then sure. yeah, man, you could be you could be super fly like priest. Um but uh, but the album itself is, I would say, it's it's you know it's akin to like Marvin Gaye's "What's Going On." It's it's very much about like you know social commentary about what's happening, you know, particularly in in the streets of Harlem. Mm. Um, yeah, but and it's very very moving. And I would say that Chris Mayfield stayed in that lane more or less for the rest of his career. But but yeah, uh, I don't know. Um, and anything else? Uh, anything else you guys want to add or? No, not really. You nailed <laughs> no, it. Was, I I thought the music was pretty impressive. You know, easy easy to listen to. I I quite enjoyed having it on. So, all right. Well, should we see what yeah. Rolling Stone had to say about it? Mm. Yes. Hey, coming in at number seventy six on their uh, greatest albums of all time list, Chris Mayfield, Superfly, 
1972, Isaac Hayes' Shaft came first, but that record had one great single and a lot of instrumental filler. It was Curse Mayfield who made a black exploitation film soundtrack album that packed more drama than the movie it accompanied. Um, <clears throat> musically, Superfly is astonishing, marrying lush string parts to deep bass grooves with lots of wah wah guitar. On top, Mayfield sings in his worldwide falsetto, narrating the bleak tales of Pusher Man and Freddy's Dead telling hard truths about the drug trade and black life in the seventies. I don't take credit for everything I write. Mayfield said, I only look upon my writings as interpretations of how the majority of people around me feel. Cool. Okay. So number 76, Charlie, uh, previously in the 2012 version, uh, it's only it's, it was number 72. So it's a little bit lower, Real not, close, hey? not a lot of bit. Yeah. Okay. It's well, does it deserve, spots. does it deserve to be there? 19 numbered 1976 1976 came out 1972 it's 76 number anyway. 76 i think number so. 76 hell yeah i think it was an important part of music history yeah i'm actually this is one that i would say that i <clears throat> i don't think it would it would be out of place to put it higher bump it back up a bit yeah well just legacy alone like you know it i i, I think oh, i think it, it did a lot for soul music as a genre Definitely. I think it, it pulled a lot of like this particular style to the mainstream. I mm. mean, um, also, I think just as a cultural event, you know, like it, it, it did a lot for for black culture. Um, and then just legacy, like you can't listen to you can't watch a movie or a TV show from the 70s and into the 80s without this having some like, you know, like an imprint of some sort. Yeah, of some sort. God, like you know, when we were watching uh, during the pandemic, when we were watching like Japanese Spider-Man. Right. Yeah. What did that soundtrack sound like? <laughs> it sounded like this. Sure. Right. Kind yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's in Japan. Like mm -hmm. this movie and its soundtrack had an impact on the way they were producing movie and televisions in Japan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think it's an it's an important piece of of at least American culture, right? And and the impact of American culture out in the world. So, like I said, mm -hmm. does it deserve to be here? Absolutely, it could even be higher, in my opinion. But we'll see. You know, we'll see what else is after there. Um, but here's the real important question: Is it going in your record collection? You bet it is. Well, yeah, Charlie, you've already got already it, right? there. Do you have I it on vinyl? I no, I don't have it on vinyl. I would have it on vinyl, but I have the the CD copy for sure. Yeah, Naomi, oh. what do you what do you, what do, what do you think? I'd want to give it another listen. Um, I would definitely put the New Jack Swing version in my record collection. <laughs> hmm. I don't know if that counts as a yes or a no, though. We're so close on this one. I know. I feel like we're about to, we're about to crack this nut. She's still like know. that. But the constant falsetto. Oh, okay. Um, You'd rather have iced tea rapping. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, you gotta pick one. Okay, yes. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll put it in. Okay. I'll put you it in. Her. Okay, well, that brings me to this. So, we're working on a new game, and I know we teased it last time, <laughs> but uh, we, we're, we're working really hard on uh, on trying to figure out how Looks, to... Some of us are working really hard. Yeah, yeah. We got yeah, you guys are working really hard. Okay, well, here's the thing is, is we got to, I was, you know, we got to come up with a name for it and all this sort of stuff, but we're, we're, we're working on this idea that maybe we're going to help Naomi out with her record collection. 
because so far nothing all these classics aren't doing it for her you know these albums that are supposed to be the greatest albums ever made and she's still like nah, hard, pass. Most of the hard pass yeah so okay well what about contemporary music you know and she'll be like nah, i don't like anything new either and we're like okay we gotta we gotta figure something out <laughs> so so we're making it our mission now to <clears throat> to find contemporary music because we're already doing this stuff in the past Right. So we've got that covered. So let's move into the future. Let's move into contemporary times. And there's got to be modern contemporary music that that Naomi can enjoy. Now, we're trying to make it not such an overwhelming assignment that you got to, you know, we're already listening to one or two albums a week. I'm not trying to make you listen to a whole new album. Naomi can't find six minutes in her fucking week. (laughs) I mean, you know, some music. Right. Listen, I I get it. I'd sleep in, too, if I could. But anyway, um, so the idea is let's maybe find some contemporary music and to make it a little more interesting, you know, not that it needs to be so much a competition, except that, you know, just to like, you know, see if just, just to add a little element of, of, you know, some stakes, I guess, you know, there's no, well, not even really any stakes because we're not winning anything, you know, but Charlie and I are kind of just going to go head to head on this one because, you know, that way, yeah, more or less, basically just as, as motivation, you know, we're going to go and, and, and weekly, we're going to present Naomi with some music. I think the idea with the music is it has to be contemporary. Like, so it has to be from a group or an artist who are still producing or relevant, you know, they're current ish something that's last 10 years. Let's say even last five, even years. five. Okay. Yeah. In the last five years. And we'll see if we can't, if we can't maybe help her with her recollection we can at least help her with a playlist you know <laughs> and we'll we'll get her some playlists of some contemporary music and we're just going to keep tabs of who is uh you know who's who's figuring this out better you know just for data just for research just for just for friendly competition and uh yeah we don't have a name for it yet or anything we're we're going to work on all that but if you want to find out you know all about that then you got to go to patreon.com slash learning to listen that's where you're going to find out like what songs she's picking, you know, who's, who's, who's got the, like, who's got figure, her figured out better. Who's got these picks better. So patreon.com slash learning to listen. It's the only place you're going to find that out. Uh, we do have two songs right now that are up for competition and uh, we teased them last time, but it's not going to be until the next episode that we're going to reveal them. But after that, we should be revealing, you know, picking new songs and Trying revealing to do them. On, on, the, on the weekly basis on the regular, but this is a work in progress. So if you have any suggestions for names of this game, you know, I was calling it crack Naomi's nut or, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's not hey, go with your gut instinct. Yeah. Just, well, crack we'll see. You know, we could use, right. we could use a little theme or something, just a new little segment, a little short little segment on the show. But the only way you're going to find out what she picked is patreon.com slash learning to listen. Okay. And if you would like to follow along at home and see what we're doing any other time, uh, we got a website with all our social media, that website is Charlie. Oh, it's l2lpodcast.com. Right on. And if you would like to, uh, I don't know, reach out and talk to somebody, you're right. You could be your own personal Jesus, as uh, Depeche Mode says. Uh, we got a phone number. That's what I'm trying to talk about, right? That's what that song's about. It's about calling somebody up and I don't know, phone yeah, sex, yeah, maybe? Yeah, sure. This is not a phone no. sex line. No, you're so <laughs> wrong. The phone number me. is. <laughs> Seven eight zero eight five one eight seven eight five. Yeah, leave us a message, and uh, you know if it's anything uh, we like, maybe we'll play it on the air. 
Maybe don't we just hate call. It. Don't just call and then get to the fucking message part and hang up. I hate when you do that. People have been doing that. Yeah. I've been seeing oh. the dope nostalgia hotline comes up on my phone and I'm like, yes, yes. And then they just don't leave a message. Oh. People leave, leave their, lose their nerve, man. These days it's, so it's all text-based. But we're, we're trying this out. We think an audio podcast about audio related things, maybe, maybe somebody out there is willing to uh, indulge us all right and then our hosts also have things going on that they would like to tell you about charlie what do you got to plug oh i'm gonna plug oldmandesign.com i mean look if you like the show you've listened this far help us out go get some merch go to oldmandesign.com you can get a t-shirts mugs all kind of stuff oldmandesign.com will get you sorted right on and naomi what's going on in your world um, the uh, podcast that I have called Dope Nostalgia, where we talk to people who had big hits in the 90s. Uh, my special guest this week is Sean McCann from Great Big C. Oh, interesting. Okay, Great Big C. My mom yeah. used to call them Big Blue C. I don't know yeah. why. Oh, cute. <laughs> she can never get them right. She's like, I sure do like that Big Blue C. Like, well, if you like them so much, maybe you should get their name right. You mom. should learn their name. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for hanging out and listening with us today. I know today we were just gushing about how much we liked an album, but, you know, we'll see Boring. if that's going to keep happening, you know? And uh, so follow, follow along with us while we do the next album, which is next. going to be number 75 on our Rolling Stones greatest albums of all time list Aretha. Lady Soul. That's Aretha Franklin's oh, Lady yeah. Soul. Yeah, two soul in a row. Yeah, I know. So uh, I think there's a theme here, but uh, we'll see. Anyway, that's going to be our next one. Okay, so until next time. All right. Um, hey, just like, you know, if you're going to go and buy a pound of cocaine to sell on the streets of Harlem, you got to get them to wrap, wrap, wrap it up. I don't know. It's not like a Subway sandwich. Man, just be like, keep fit and have fun. No. The 1990s. The music was fun. Yeah. And then it got really dark for a while, a little bit anti-establishment. But the next mm-hmm. thing you knew, it was totally fun again. So many artists came and went and left us wondering, what are they doing now? This podcast isn't about the heavy hitters who are still making millions. It's about everyone else, the ones whose careers didn't really leave that decade and kind of just still live in our memory. So you mean Vanilla Ice had another song? We all know what happened to Marky Mark. But what about the Funky Bunch? Who were the KLF? And why did Tammy Wynette record a song with an electro dance band that topped the charts? Two genres that specifically defined the 90s. What were freestyle and new jack swing all about? Did you know that Blossom star Joey Lawrence had a huge pop hit? Or that Alanis Morissette had a really hot pop career in Canada before Jagged Little Pill? Special guests will also be joining me to discuss the great era of glitter, grunge, thin eyebrows, hammer pants, and total ridiculousness. We're even setting up some interviews with some of the musicians that define the times. Okay, so if you're older than 30, you might be sitting here going, Man, I totally remember that song, but I have no idea who does that. Well then, you better listen and find out.
I'm Naomi Carmack, host of the Ultimate 90s podcast, Dope Dope Nostalgia. You're going to be busting the move again, coming in early 2020. You want to follow us so that you know when we go live? Check out our Twitter at Nostalgia Dope, or you can find us on Instagram at Dope underscore Nostalgia. If you've got a question or you just want to be on the show, email us at Dope Nostalgia Podcast at gmail.com.